So each year our church goes and works with Alaska Missions on the Iditarod. And it's always amazing those dogs get to the end of the race. By the way, you get our final, final stuff in by the end of the month. So let us know in the church office. There's still space if you want to go. And the dogs are still just like just pulling on this thing. You can't hardly get them to slow down. That's what I feel like. So you need to be able to listen fast today because I'm excited about this one just to let you know. Now we're going to deal with doubt. I'm going to talk about doubt from a lot of different angles. There's a lot of people who doubt Christianity, period. Uh, there's a lot of people who doubt that this is a worthwhile thing to follow. There's a lot of Christians who doubt themselves and they doubt their salvation at times and they doubt their faith and they don't necessarily know how to put all these things together or, or what it really means. And I'm convinced, and I want you to hear this, you may disagree and some of the most fun conversations I ever have is when people go, I don't know that I agree with you on that, Pastor. That's great. Let's have coffee. You can buy it if you disagree. Um, but... Here's, here's one of the things I think is happening. Um, I think a lot of people are struggling with doubt within their faith, what you believe, and they've divorced it from the how created this idea that Christianity is all about what you believe, and they've divorced it from the idea that it's actually about what you live and what you do. And when you just think about it in the terms of it just being a belief and it doesn't really affect the way I live or what I do, then no wonder you have doubt because what are you looking for? Well, I believe this. Well, how do you know? I don't know. I can't see anything. And so John, in his letter to the church, we're looking at 1 John, and we're going to be in chapter 3. He's addressing some of these things. Now, he's doing it in this context that there are some false teachers who are teaching, and the people in the church are having trouble deciphering the false teaching, and they're struggling with what these people are teaching and how to relate this to what they know. And, and so this is the context of what he's talking about. But there's a lot of things in his teaching that can help us have confidence that we can know that we are God's children. And that's what he says at the first part of chapter 3, we are God's children. And then we can continue to grow in this confidence in our faith. So the question is, how can I know? How, how can I know? How can I be sure about this? How can I see a difference? And John begins to make it really clear. Now, I want to read this particular passage today, and then we're going to talk about it for a little bit. But I want you to just hang in here with me this morning, because what I'm about to read is actually pretty difficult uh, not to read. Uh, my mom taught me that. I know how to read. But it's difficult to maybe take into our heart here for just a little bit, because we'll, we'll talk this out. First John chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. Everyone who commits sin, raise your hand, that's you. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And you know that he, he being Jesus, you know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins. And there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. And everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. 
Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He's not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. Now again, John's writing to the church because there's false teachers in the church and they're going, how do we discern what is right? And John's writing in this context of helping them be able, be able to discern which one is right and which one is wrong. And in this passage, he gives us two very clear truths in the passage before we start dealing with the difficult things that are in there. There's two things that are very, very clear. Two clear truths about John, that John teaches us about why Jesus came to earth. The first one was this, to take away sin. Jesus came to earth to take away sin. You know that he was revealed that he might take away sin. That's what John says. So that's one very clear truth. The second thing that he says is to destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. So there's two very clear things that he says in this particular passage about why Jesus was revealed. But let's talk about the difficulty of this sermon and the difficulty, to be quite honest with you, of any sermon that you'll hear anyone preach is that it's almost impossible for any pastor or preacher to be able to preach the entire book, whether you're talking about the whole Bible or even just the book of 1 John, every time. And there, there becomes a problem with this because think about this, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. And I'm just going to go ahead and be bold enough to say it. Yes, those of us who struggle to make it to church all the time, I want, to, I want you to hear this out of love. When we build our faith only in bits and pieces, and we get it in this sermon, and then I can't make it the next week, and I can't make it the next week, and then I hear this sermon, and then I can't make that, and I can't, and then I hear this sermon, and... I'm not studying it on my own and I'm not reading it on my own. Then you get this thought connected to this thought connected to this thought and you get a real hodgepodge look. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, if you just take these six verses that I just read, it's almost depressing. Because you look at it and you go, well, wait a minute, I'm a sinner. And I sin and I struggle with sin. And this verse is saying that if I'm sinning, then I'm not a Christian. Well, hold on a minute. I thought John wrote this so that I could be sure of my faith. Now I doubt my faith. What in the world is, is going on? Well, the first part of the book says this. This is the message we've heard from him and we declare to you, God is light. And in him there's absolutely no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, this is the same John that just wrote that those who are of God don't abide in sin. But if you only hear this one part and you've never heard the other part, you're going, ah. But if you begin to put it all together, you begin to see what John is saying. And, and what, that's the difficulty of what's happening. We're going to get into that in a minute. Is that sometimes we only hear part of a verse or a message or an idea. 
and, and sometimes people take it a lot further than it was intended to go or they see it out of context. And the thing you ever hear, you go, wow. But if you never hear the part that says, if you ever say that you've not sinned, then you're, then you're a liar. If you say you haven't sinned, you're a liar. But it's the blood of Jesus that purifies us from our sins. Then you begin to put the pieces together. You see, he said in John, in 1 John 2, chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. I told you I'm excited. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So everybody take a breath and go, John is not saying that if I ever sin that I'm not a Christian. He's saying that Jesus Christ came to eradicate sin. And those who are truly followers of Christ as they deal with sin are going to deal with it a different way with the blood of Jesus covering their life. And they're going to deal with their life a different, different way. He wrote all this to help people discern the difference between people who are teaching right things and people who are teaching wrong things. So let me tell you one of the most deceiving things that's being taught in our culture today. And I will tell you this, it's actually coming out of some pulpits. And I'm not calling anyone in particular out. I'm just telling you, it's a thought that's out there. Here's one of the most deceiving things that gets taught today is people are taught that Christianity is only about what you believe. And they just say that if you believe the right things, then all this stuff will work out. And if you just believe, they think that as long as you believe the right things, that actions aren't really significant. Because, you know, how can I live a perfect life or how can I even strive to do this? So, you know, God just loves me enough that he forgives me and he, he oversees those things. And so I don't even have to try on this other stuff. I really don't have to make any effort. I know what God's word says, but, man, I just can't do it. But God loves me anyway. That, that's just a lie. Not that God doesn't love you, but it's a lie that we're supposed to live that way. What John is saying is that the way that you will not be deceived and not doubt in your own faith is that when you learn that you put your actions and your faith together and you be able to see the motivation for what you do and the results of what you do. He says, whoever does what is right, and for us that would be striving to live out what the Bible says, trying to follow and become a child of God. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to give an example of how to attain this life that Jesus has for us. And people are looking at it in our culture today and saying, I know that I believe, I know that I made a decision, but I'm struggling with my faith because I don't see anything. And I think the simple question that John and myself would ask you is, well, what are you doing with your faith? Are you actually living it or are you just keeping it in here as well? As long as I believe the right things, that, that's really all that matters. And that's, that's it's not. Because John says, if what you believe is truly sincere, then it's going to affect how you behave and what you do. So the question that I want to answer today is, how then do I live the life that Jesus has made possible? If he came to overcome sin and death, and if he came so that I can have life, and if John's saying that I can know that these things are true and real and that they make a difference in my life, how do I see those things? But right before I dive into that, I want to make sure we have a foundational understanding before I start talking about things that we can do. Salvation, being saved, being forgiven of sins, is not related to works. Scripture is clear on that. However, here's something that maybe we haven't thought about. Scripture is also very clear that the way that we live our faith and know our faith is absolutely 100% related to works. So maybe you could say it this way, salvation is not works related, but faith is. 
faith is absolutely works-related in Scripture. And they blend together quite nicely when we, try to quit, when we try to quit separating them out. And so let me explain it this way. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul writes these words through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from work so that no one can boast. We don't earn God's love. We don't deserve God's love. We can't earn our way into heaven. We don't do, it is a free gift of God. The grace that we've received and when we accept God's gift of salvation is the only thing that is getting us into heaven. But there's another verse I want you to look at, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 26. This is Jesus' half-brother James that wrote this. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, faith without works is dead. You put all these ideas together and you begin to understand. I don't earn my salvation. It's a free gift of God. God gives me that salvation, which then therefore should change my heart. If my heart is truly changed, then my behavior is going to change. When my behavior begins to change, I can actually see my faith in action. When I see my faith in action, I become confident that God is at work in my life because I actually see the results of it. And it continues to grow to where I have a confidence that God is real because I once was blind, but now I can see. And God's the only one that can do that. And I once thought this way, but now I do this. I didn't because I just believed them in my life because I'm actually trying to do them, not because I just believe them. That's where we get our confidence. That's what John is saying. You see, I don't want to be crass or insensitive, but I do want to make this point. When James writes this word, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without works. I mean, think about what do we do with bodies who no longer have spirits in them in this world. We bury them or discard them because they are no longer useful. Because the person who occupied that body is not there anymore. They have hopefully gone on to be with the Lord in heaven. And that is a foundational belief for us as a Christian. And so James, I think, uses a beautiful illustration to say, you can't separate the body from the spirit and expect it to be the right thing any more than you can separate faith and works and expect it to be the right thing. And so let's get that right concept before we dig into this idea of then what do we actually do to receive this life that Jesus has for us. The first thing, and I want to walk, as I said, you can't just look at one passage. you got to look at what John said up to here. So we're going to kind of work backwards, but back up to where we are. John wrote in, first, should walk as Jesus walked. Verse 6, the one who says he remains in him should walk as Jesus walked. So the first thing that he tells us, if we're going to be confident in our faith and have the life that God has for us, then we're going to walk as he walked. Simple, but not real easy. Walk as Jesus walked. And this is very simple, but not real easy, if you understand what I'm saying. It's very simple. I can explain it in a very simple way. It doesn't necessarily make it the easiest thing to do, but the sin is Christ. I'm going to try to do the things that Jesus did. And the more that I know him, the more that I understand what he did and the more I can do what he did. I can't follow him if I can't see him. I can't follow him if I don't know him. I can't understand the things he, do, he does if I don't get to know the things he does. Now, I'm going to just use this as an illustration. Timothy, do you shoot right-handed or left-handed? My son shoots left-handed. Timothy, are you right-handed or are you left-handed? 
he's right-handed. Now, there's a reason I ask that question. Because my father and my son had a very special relationship. And they were together quite a bit, and they did a lot of things. And uh, my dad was an expert marksman. My dad loved to shoot. He loved to shoot in competitions. He was excellent at it. But my dad had an accident when he was young, who, and my dad lost the use of his right eye at a high level. He got a machete in the eye from a friend who he was following in the woods, and he saved his eye, but he couldn't really see. So my dad learned to shoot left-handed. And my son, who hung out a lot with my dad one day, we noticed is holding things left-handed. And it was like, why? Now, my son is also a very excellent shot as well, and he is shooting left-handed. Why? Because he saw what my father was doing and mimicked it. Simple truth. He just kept looking at what that guy who's really good at this does, and I'm just going to do it his way. Even though it feels probably more natural to do it this way, I'm going to do it this way because that's what that guy's doing. There's a truth right there. It's a simple truth. Walk as Jesus walked. It's easier for me, God, to do it this way. Walk as Jesus walked. Well, but that's kind of out of my way. Walk as Jesus walked. It might not feel natural at first, but the more you do it, the more comfortable it becomes, and the more confidence you begin to have that, wow, God really is at work in my life because I can actually see it working. And it happens. So we walk as Jesus walked. Another thought that John gives us leading up to this was in 1 John 2, 29. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So the simple truth from that verse is this. Do what is right. Do what is right. You know, there is another untruth that is being portrayed in this world, and sometimes it even comes from places who appear to be Christian, and it is this, that people want to convince you that you can be righteous and yet not do what is right. Now think about that for a minute. There are people who want to convince you that what it means to be a Christian is about what you believe and, you know, as, as long as you give, and long, but you don't actually have to, you know, let it affect your life. And, yeah, there's some things in Scripture, well, that's just old and, you don't, and that's kind of hard. And that, that's so, so incorrect. And, and, and I learned it as this way. It, it's this fact and values split that happens in our society where people, and you tell me if you haven't heard conversations that are similar to this, they, they are okay as long as you believe what you believe and you keep it in your belief bubble. But when your belief bubble starts going into real life, then now, you're, now that, that doesn't make any sense. What you believe is okay as long as you believe it at church on Sunday. But when you start just as faith without works is dead, now I don't know this is the right thing to do. You see, just as faith without works is dead, the body without spirit is dead. You see how this goes together? We've somehow convinced ourselves that as long as I believe all the right things, then it doesn't really affect my real life. But what John says is, you know that he is righteous that if everyone who does what is right has been born of him. You do what is right. It's a very simple thing. We're either going to argue with God about why we can't live out his word or we're going to do his word. I'm just going to preach that again. You just put your toe right out there. We're either going to argue with God about why we can't do his word or we're going to accept that he's offering us life if we will trust him and follow him. And the more that we trust him and follow him and actually do what's in his word, the more we realize that it is true and it does work and it does lead to life. 
and then our confidence in him grows, our confidence in ourself grows, and it works. We'll go back to this idea. You, you know why people struggle with their faith is because they're not doing anything with it. It's just something they believe. It's not something that they do. And then they, they come to a point of crisis, and they're looking for something in their faith, and it's all right here in their heart. It's not out here in their actions. And so they're looking, and they're saying this question, why does my faith really even matter? And the truth is, some people who look at their lives are saying the same thing. Why does their faith even matter? Because it's not making a difference in what they do. So when God's word actually says, love my neighbor, we're, guess what we're supposed to do? Love our neighbor. Times where we can trust God that he's leading us supposed to do. And we can argue with God about why that's difficult at times, or we can trust God that he's leading us to life, and that the more that I do the things that he's asking me to do, the more life I'm going to experience. It's okay that I'm preaching today. If you don't, is we all right? Okay, on this? I told you, I'm excited. I love you. And John wrote these things so that we can have confidence and know I'm, I'm not mad, and I know I have a sarcastic sense of humor. I'm not trying to be sarcastic with this. I just think it's so clear that I miss it sometimes. And I don't want you to miss it. It's, it's a simple faith that should affect the way that we actually live our life. And the more that you live it out, the more that you understand it, and the more that you see it. And I hate the fact that this world has convinced us that Christianity is all in our heart and it's all personal and it's all to ourselves. When God's word says it's all out here in the open and it's demonstrated in loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving my neighbor. Those are two totally different ideas. And I think we're either going to run after one or the other. John writes this, 1 John 3, 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies him to purify my life. Whoa. What? Does that, how do I do that? It's, it's simple. You actively clean out things that don't need to be there. Change your thoughts. Change your actions. It's just, it's just you are taking the initiative that when God demonstrates that there's something in my heart or my life that doesn't need to be there anymore, I'm willing to let it go and trust that God's going to do the right thing with it and show me a different way of living life. This is what John says. You want evidence of your faith being active in your life so that you can have confidence in it? Purify your life. Everyone who has hope in Jesus purifies himself as he is pure. 1 John 3, 6. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Now, there's your hard verse for the day. But remember, take it in context of what John said earlier. What John said earlier is that we would be a liar if we said that we've never sinned. But now he's saying that everyone who remains in him does not sin. So we need to remain in Jesus and there is a truth here that John is saying. It's very clear. It's very accurate. And think about it. Let it sink in. If I am abiding and remaining in Christ, I will not sin. When do I sin? When I stop abiding and remaining in Christ and I step out and start doing things on my own. But the more I follow his word and remain in him and trust him and do the things that he asks, it's impossible for me to sin when I'm doing exactly what God asks me to do. But the moment that I get away from him and start doing this on my own, then that's when I start sinning again. You see, here's the difference. Because of Jesus, those who have chosen to follow him find what the Bible refers to as a new birth, new creation. And we have a new nature as a believer that Jesus has taken away our sins and therefore sin no longer dominates our life. Our character is changed. 
and we, are no longer the, we no longer have the character of a sinner. We take on the character of a child of God because that is what we are. We become a child of God. And becoming a child of God means that then I then strive to abide in him. And I may stumble in sin, but I do not willingly choose to walk in it. Sin is no longer the norm in my life. I do not enjoy it, and I do not defend it. I hate it, and I strive to rid my life of it. And when I do that, then I begin to find life. John's not saying that if you ever sin again, that you're no longer a Christian. He's saying a real simple truth. Those who are abiding and walking with Christ, it's impossible for them to sin because it was impossible for Jesus to sin. So if we're doing exactly what God wants us to do, we're not sinning. It's when we start walking away from that that we sin. And so that's why he says remain in him. Because when you remain in Jesus, then sin no longer becomes a part of your life. And so that's what he wants for us. I'm going to give you another little clue on this one. The nature of a follower of Christ would be this. That when, and notice what I just said, when we do stumble and when we do sin, we feel guilty. Whereas before we had that, we didn't necessarily feel guilty about that because I'm just living and, hey, I'm just better than this person or that person. But now as a follower of Christ, as a child of God, I've now offended God with my sin. And when I sin, I realize it, and it causes this feeling inside that I don't like, which is supposed to motivate us to confess our sins for then which Jesus will purify from our sins and we'll be back in a right relationship with God. And then we strive to say, I don't want that to be part of my life anymore. I don't want to do that again. You ever had an experience in your life that you're easily able to say, I don't want to do that again? That's the way sin should become in our life. I don't want to do that again. I don't want to go there again. And then 1 John 3.10, he writes these words. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. I love that. That there are so many examples that John could have given. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God because there's a lot of things in Scripture that God tries to teach us so that we can find the life that he has for us. But John just comes straight to the point, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. And so he says the most tangible way that you're going to be able to have confidence in the faith that is real in your life and what God is doing in your life is it's going to affect the relationship that you have with people. And even though people may not be doing things that you approve of, like, or around, there's going to be a love and a compassion for them that comes from God, just like the love and compassion that God had for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's going to begin to well up in your heart. And it's going to matter less and less what the actions of other people are. And it's just going to matter that God wired me to be someone who loves them in their life and trusts that God's going to lead them in the right place. So you notice something in John's writing is that your faith is tied to what you do, not what you believe. Everything that he says about how do I get confidence, he doesn't say believe harder. He doesn't say read more. He doesn't say study more. He goes, look at what you do. When you look at what you do, then you will gain that confidence and so he says it will be demonstrated in our actions, not necessarily in our heart only. Which leads us with a big sin. Well, me that's hanging out here. Well, hold on, Pastor. I still struggle a lot with sin. Well, me too. Me too. The reason I'm pastor is because I'm the chief sinner, okay? 
And so God lets me make all the mistakes and look at you and go, hey, don't do this. That didn't work. So we all struggle with that. What do we do then when we sin? This is why John's made it clear. We trust Jesus, the one who came to defeat sin and defeat the works of the devil and to offer us life. Our sin is just an example of how much we need a Savior every time. And so when we sin, our ability to call it out as sin, repent of our sin, confess our sins, and allow God to forgive us of our sins and move back in right relationship with him is what's going to work. That's how we find life. Can I just tell you this too? I want you to write this last blank in and then just talk to me and we're done. I can defeat sin in my life by pursuing righteousness. It's the last blank. I can, and I wrote that for you to say that, I can defeat sin in my life by pursuing righteousness. And why do I say it that way? Because what John is saying here, if you look at the words that I chose today, look at these. These are action words. Walk, do, purify, remain, love. These are all things that we do, not things that we don't. And so a lot of people get worked up about their faith because they think, oh, I'm struggling with these things and I just got to get rid of these things in my life and I can't do this and I shouldn't do that and I don't do that. And here's, I don't know if it's the same for you, but I know this is true for me. The more I focus on my sin, the more I think about my sin, the more I'm likely to sin. But when I focus on righteousness and saying that I can defeat sin if I just focus on Jesus and pursue him, if I'm doing that, then I'm not going to do the wrong things. And so I just get to this question, how can I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind? I could take them. How can I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and how can I love my neighbor as myself? That's the question. How can I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind? How can I love myself? Not how can I stop doing this? 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 Don't focus on that. Focus on Jesus. And ask yourself the question, how do I love him more, and how do I love those around me 